Well, hello, friends, and welcome once again to what has essentially become the Discovery Christian Church podcast in this time of COVID-19. We are uh, broadcasting our gatherings digitally on Sunday morning. We're calling it the Digital Gathering. And uh, and rather than sort of repeat that, um, you know, cut and splice and, and throw on the webpage the same teaching there, we're expanding a little bit, um, allowing uh, multiple mediums to give us more space to explore stuff. So um, that is kind of what is fun about uh, what we get to do here in this context. Again, our sort of weekly uh, teaching update has really become a, a sort of podcast and way to go a little bit farther with the conversation than what we're able to do within the confines of the Sunday morning digital gathering. So today we are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 12. And to set the context for this quickly, this is now week 10 of our journey through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. And we've been looking at this book, or we are going to look at this book in four movements. And each movement is built around a different character. So the first character that we spent some time with was this woman, and that was our first two weeks. And then the last eight weeks has been looking at this character, Samuel. And this text that we're looking at uh, right now is going to be uh, sort of a capstone, a swan song, a farewell of sorts for Samuel. He will continue on into the story as we will see, uh, but this is a, an end point for him in many ways. Now, let's also take a moment here and look back because we've got some exciting stuff to talk about. Last week when we were in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we saw how a crisis led the people of Israel to a great moment of sacrifice and generosity, which in turn led to a moment of celebration and unity. And for the character Saul, Saul, who has been named the first king of Israel, this moment was so huge because it solidifies his leadership as their first king. So for him, crisis led him to call the people to sacrifice and generosity, which then led to this great moment of unity and rallying around his leadership as their king. This is the high point for Saul in so many ways. So that's what's going on in the story. But we also are always looking at discovery. How does uh, the story of scripture connect to our story. And look, we are in a crisis. And in this moment of crisis, we set out a generosity challenge. Again, finding our story within the story, right? So we said, hey, we would like to raise $5,000. We would like to do this in two weeks uh, in order to accomplish a couple of goals. We wanted to bless our missionary partners with a mid-year gift, this morale boost. Like, hey, we're thinking about you guys. Know it's difficult for you as well. This is a global pandemic, of course. Something to support and, and uh, bless them. We also wanted to further our partnership with two local local organizations, Empower YOLO and Fourth and Hope. These are great organizations serving some of the most vulnerable populations in our county. We've already done a few things with them and, and hope to continue growing our relationship and partnerships with them. And so we felt like, you know, these gifts, $1,000 each would go a long way towards helping us solidify those relationships. And then finally, the rest would be uh, 
leftovers, not the right word, but sort of set aside as a way to meet needs that arise within our community. And we've, um, you know, put out some, uh, we put out a survey for you guys to fill out, to get some, uh, uh, input as to where people are at. We've also just had different conversations. We've already been able to meet a couple of needs through this, but we know there's going to be significant impact uh, from the economic downturn that we're all experiencing in some way. And again, even in just the last week, we've been, a- been able to help pay some rent and pay some other bills as well. Now, here's what I want you uh, to take away from this moment. What do you, I want you to walk away with. Okay. We- that goal of $5,000 within 48 hours, which is amazing. And again, we've been able to help meet a couple of needs already. Now, as of today, and again, this is a couple days after this, the 10th, so it's May 12th, we've raised about $10,000, which just blows my mind. Okay, we've doubled our goal. And there's still time to participate. It's not over yet. This campaign will remain open for a few more days if you want to jump in and give. Here's what I want you to do now. I am so proud of you, Discovery. Discovery friends and family. So grateful to be a part of a church that exists to give itself away. The church, any church, is always at its best when it is broken and poured out. Because when we are broken and poured out, we are a reflection of Jesus, a tangible example of the good news of Jesus, Jesus who is broken and poured out for us, for our healing and restoration and salvation. When we are broken and poured out on behalf of others, we point people in just about as explicit a way as we possibly can towards the good news of Jesus. So this is beautiful. We've uh, been able to send out those gifts to our missionaries um, yesterday and today. The larger checks to our local partners go out uh, tomorrow or, or later this week. And then again, we now have some great funds to use to bless people within our community. And I, I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it. One of the things that we really want that money to go towards is helping people uh, pay for counseling pay for spiritual direction, for therapy. Um, I just have this very deep conviction that this time of sheltering in place and then all the other sort of anxieties that come along with this moment are going to put people in some significant need for those services, for counseling, mental health uh, issues, spiritual direction, all of that sort of stuff. If you are in that place where you feel like I, I could really... Uh, use that. Talk to someone, meet with someone, and I don't have the funds to do it. Please ask us for that because we would love to make it possible. One of the things that we're, we're saying right now is no one in our community should not be able to have access to uh, uh, mental health services, counseling services, direction services because they, they can't pay for it. It just shouldn't happen in our church. We can meet that need. Again, if you are in that place, Please let us know because we would love to help connect you and, and again, pay your way uh, towards getting those services. All right, let's pause here and pray, and then we will turn our attention to the next part of the story, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled to be a part of a community that would give itself away like this. 
that would rise to this challenge, that would uh, go above and beyond even the challenge that was laid before it to make sure that people are taken care of, that people are blessed, that good work continues to happen, that your shalom is made more real and tangible in our world. God, we are humbled by this. We're grateful for it. We also know that you can take even our relatively small amount of generosity and multiply it so many times over. God, we are so thankful that the economics of your kingdom do not work like the economics of the world. So would you take what we have to offer and use it far beyond anything that we could hope or imagine? God, as we bring our attention to Scripture, we, um, as exciting as it is to be a part of this, we also know that it's not about us. You are the hero of the story. Would this be a moment where we don't, um, we don't just revel in our ability to come together as a community, but we revel in your centrality to the story, the activity, the action of our world, that you are alive and moving and your presence is real. And it is changing things even as we speak. So God, would you give us the eyes to see that? Would you give us the courage to join where you are working? And as we turn our attention to your word, God, we trust, we know you want to speak to us. And so may we hear your voice calling to us, inviting us, challenging us. May we have the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. We pray all of this in the powerful, strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 12, I want to begin with a quote. This is a very famous quote. We've talked about it before at Discovery, but it's worth revisiting from time to time. This quote comes from A.W. Tozer, who was a fairly prominent pastor over 100 years ago, beginning of the 20th century. He said, very and just a wonderful quote to meditate on. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Probably as many different things as there are folks listening right now, but for some of us, God is like that coach that used to yell at us, that demanding professor who was always on our case. We have the sense that they probably love us at some level, but man, do they put a lot of pressure on us to perform. Maybe for you, God is a grumpy old man yelling at you to get off of his lawn. Maybe God is, you have this sense that God is generally unhappy with those who happen to be doing something churchy, like praying or uh, you know, reading your Bible. Maybe you have a much sunnier view of God than my first couple of examples. Maybe for you, God is like a, a buddy and you go on road trips together. You hang out at the beach. God is your bestie. So much of what drives us, whether we are aware of it or not, so much of what we expect from ourselves, from our church, from each other has to do with our view of God. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Now, there's a great mystery to God. And this is a truth that should humble us, that should remind us that maybe we don't have it all figured out. Maybe there's more here to explore. But 
There are some truths about God that we can know and live from definitively. And I am so excited because we are going to explore one of those truths now as we move forward in the story. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 12. I actually want to read the end of the chapter, then we'll kind of go back through it and fill in some things, and then we'll uh, land where we begin here. Okay, so this is 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 19. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, considering what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Now, as we said, this is the end of Samuel's time as one of the central characters. We're ending part two of this conversation. Samuel will still be around for a while, but the next central character is going to be King Saul, who we've already seen a little bit, but he becomes uh, center stage here in the next few chapters. And then eventually we move on to this guy named David, who I think you're really going to love. So this chapter is Samuel's parting words, his farewell speech to the people of Israel as their primary leader. From this point on, the leadership mantle gets passed to the kings. And so as Samuel makes this speech, there are at least three important truths that emerge. And there's probably more, of course, but I want to highlight three truths that emerge from Samuel's farewell speech. The first is this. We see that Samuel is flawed. This is not news to us. We've seen this before, but a good reminder. Samuel is a great character in so many ways. He's been an amazing leader for the people for many, many years. And the people of Israel acknowledge this, both in verse 4 and verse 18. They recognize Samuel's great leadership and, and his integrity in leading the people so well for such a long time. Samuel did some great stuff. He reversed many of the failures of his predecessor, Eli. And maybe most importantly, he led Israel through a great renewal. Remember, we looked at this back in 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel 7, 2 talks about how all the people of Israel turn back to God. And this theme of renewal, one of the primary themes of the book of Samuel, one of the reasons we are spending so much time in this book and in these wonderful stories is because we see some of the ways in which the people of Israel get way off track, but also these cycles of renewal where this remnant right this remnant has this holy discontent it doesn't have to go down like this god can still move and come through for us and so they contend primarily through prayer they contend for god to move and then god does bring renewal and samuel leads one of the biggest renewals we see in the entire book despite all of that though samuel repeats some of Eli's mistakes, 
his sons. He gives them some authority and, and power. They go off the rails and pervert justice, just like Eli's sons did. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3. We go on to see that Samuel becomes very disappointed, right? When the people choose to have a king, this uh, is not bad in and of itself, but it does lead him to speak to them very harshly, he kind of throws the people under the bus uh, at a certain point, uh, lashes out at them in his disappointment. And then, in again, within the speech itself, at the beginning here, he lays out his credentials. This is verse 3 now of chapter 12. Here I stand, Samuel says, testify against me in the presence of the Lord. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Now, technically, technically speaking, Samuel may not have done these things, but his sons definitely did. <laughs> and in the Old Testament worldview in particular, they would have seen these things as very connected. So Samuel here engaging in some image management, what we might call political spin. Samuel is a flawed human being, just like every single one of us. Does some amazing things, but also has some flaws. Now, despite his shortcomings, Samuel, and this is the second truth that emerges here, has been incredibly faithful. So we see Samuel flawed, and we see Samuel faithful in this. Now, before we get to the speech, from the moment that his mom has passed off to Eli, remember Hannah dedicates him to service in the Lord, drops him off when he's about five years old. Samuel's been faithful to this call to serve, to lead, and to sacrifice for the people for decades. He echoes his commitment throughout the speech. Look at verse 23, just one example here. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. He's done this again for years, years, decades, through renewal, through rejection, through disappointment, through all of it. Samuel has prayed and led this people. He has remained faithful. And according to scripture, faithfulness, is the true mark of success. It's not results. It's not perfection. It's faithfulness. The New Testament writer Paul says it this way. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Samuel could say that with total honesty. One of the marks of his faithfulness certainly is his years of service, but also we see this in the ways in which he remains engaged, even though he passes the baton here. God will continue to use him in the story several chapters, even if he's no longer the central leadership figure. So Samuel is flawed but faithful, which leads us to the third thing. And this is really the ultimate point of Samuel's speech. And it's that he's not the main subject of this speech. Beginning in verse 6, Samuel reminds the people God is the hero of the story. So we see Samuel flawed, we see Samuel faithful, but underneath all of this is the truth that God is the hero of the story. And this is one of the reasons why Tozer's quote is so vital for us. It's not just because our image of God is foundational. That's totally true. But one of the reasons that quote is so vital is because Tozer assumes that we see God at all. One of our modern issues is not just that we have misconceptions of God. We certainly have those, but but even more so that we don't think about God at all. We don't see him being a central player in the action 
of our world. But Samuel, like the other prophets, always sees God at the center of the action. In fact, this is part of his job description, reminding the people of God's centrality. Look at verse 7. Now then, stand here because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed not by him, Samuel, not by Saul, the king, performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. And so what is the bulk of Samuel's speech? He's telling them their story. He reminds them of their history, their story, the ways that God has been so active through the whole thing. Slavery in Egypt, the leadership of Moses and Aaron, bringing them to freedom, returning them to their land, uh, walking with them through the era of judges. Samuel highlights all the ways that they've forgotten God over the years and all the ways that God has stayed faithful to them even through all of that. Now, we are really big on story at Discovery, and that is not an arbitrary thing, a random thing. We're not trying to be cute. We're big on story because we value the Bible so highly, and the Bible is huge on story. Look at what Samuel does here in his farewell speech. He doesn't give the people a spiritual checklist, a three-point plan of action. Here's what you need to do. He reminds them of their story. Because we live, human beings live within narratives. We live story-formed lives, not bullet-point-formed lives. Are you with me? It's within a story that our imaginations are formed. And it's within this story, the story of Scripture, that we begin to see God as the hero of all the action in our world. We see these deep truths within this story. When we reject right relationship with God, we end up in a bad place. Look at verse 9. When we live in right relationship with God, we experience renewal and transformation. Take a look at verse 11. When we get lost, restless, forgetful, we tell and we retell the story to to remember who the real hero is, to remember who God is and what he has done for us, that we worship and follow a God who rescues from slavery, that we worship and follow a God who rescues from death, the God who brings freedom, the God who brings resurrection and abundant life. Now back to what we read earlier. Verse 19, the people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servant so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Now, this is a very honest assessment, recognition, moment of confession on behalf of the people. of Israel. And you might expect Samuel to say, particularly flawed Samuel to say, aha, that's right. Get on the ground and grovel. Or... Go sit in the corner and think about what you've done. But he doesn't say any of that. Verse 20, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The most often repeated command 
in all of scripture. And then he begins to call them back to right relationship. Yes, you've done evil, but do not turn away from the Lord. This word turn here in the Hebrew, very closely related to the word repent, teshuva. Instead of repenting away from the Lord, repent back to the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Turn to him. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good. They cannot rescue you. They cannot bring resurrection and abundant life because they are useless. Instead, verse 24, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart and consider the great things he has done for you. Listen to this language, fear of the Lord, faithfulness, wholeheartedness. This is kingdom of right relationships language. And then again, consider, remember the great things he has done for you. Now, here's a great practice for us. And I would just encourage you, even right now, pause the podcast, pause the, the, the audio, and take a moment to reflect, to write down whatever you need to do. What's one great thing the Lord has done for you in the past month, six months, year, whatever period of time you want, just pick it, name it. And then again, write it down, reflect on this, name it. How has the Lord been there for you? What great things has he done? This is such an important practice because we have short memories. <laughs> we forget so easily the great things the Lord has done for us. And so we tell and we retell the story. Why do we take communion every week as a, as a community? It's so that we tell and retell the story, so that we remember, so that we routinely consider the great things he has done, the great thing he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the one thing Samuel wants them to remember as he tells and retells the story the thesis of the whole speech in many ways is verse 22 for the sake of his great name the lord will not reject his people because the lord was pleased to make you his own despite all the forgetfulness all the rejection all the idols god was pleased to make them his own. Not forced to, not bound to, not in spite of their poor behavior. Out of pleasure, God made them his own. Samuel doesn't shy away from the truth that there are definitely consequences for turning away from right relationship with God. But the foundation of this whole speech is this, God's pleasure God's pleasure in making them his own. This brings us back to what comes into our minds when we think about God. Again, we have a tendency to believe that if we act a certain way, God will love us. If we do specific things, if we read this much Bible, pray this many hours, cut out this many bad habits, then God will be pleased with me. No, friends. God loves us because it gives him pleasure. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And so our response, our responsibility, if you want to use that word, is to live from this place. Oh, children of God, what great love the Father has lavished on us. That's what we are. It's to live from that place, to tell that story, to point people towards this good God. Here, this image of a good parent 
who delights in their children. This is where we begin to have the most clear picture of what God is like. Remember I said at the beginning, there's great mystery to God, and that's humbling. That should remind us that there's so much more to explore. But there are some things we can hang our hat on. There are some truths that we can live from definitively. This is one of them, a good parent who delights in their child. Brennan Manning, wonderful writer, Catholic priest, uh, just some great stuff. The Ragamuffin Gospel, probably his most famous book. There's a, he also has a book called Abba's Child. And in this book, he tells the story about a friend of his, a fellow priest named Edward Farrell. Edward had one living relative, uh, an uncle. His name was Seamus. And when his uncle Seamus was turning 80, Edward traveled from the United States to Ireland to be with him to help him celebrate as his lone living relative. So Edward gets on a plane and he flies over there and they hang out for a few days. And then the big day comes and the priest and his uncle, they rise before dawn. This is what Uncle Seamus wants to do on his 80th birthday. They rise before dawn and they go for a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney and they stop at one point on the shore to just watch the sunrise. These two men standing next to each other in silence, taking it all in the beauty, the intimacy, the peacefulness of this moment on the shore of a lake, watching the sunrise on this old man's 80th birthday, when all of a sudden, Uncle Seamus turns away from Edward and begins skipping down the shore. An 80-year-old man skipping like a child. Being 80, he wasn't able to, to keep it up for too long. Gets a bit winded, so he stops, and he turns around, and he smiles. He's just standing there beaming ear to ear. And Edward says, Uncle Seamus, you seem really happy. And you have to apologize here. I don't have a, an Irish accent that does this justice, but Uncle, Uncle Seamus says, I am that, I am. And so Edward asks, do you want to tell me why? And Uncle Seamus says, I, lad, you see, me Abba is very funny. 80 years old, only one living relative doing this dance down the shore of a lake because he knows the one thing in life that matters. The principle and the foundation, as the mystics like to say, is that me, Abba, is very fond of me. Me, Abba, is very fond of me. Do you believe this? Samuel has a lot to say to the people of Israel as he helps them remember their story. We will never stop plumbing the depths of the mysteries of God, but underneath all of that, the bedrock truth is this. Your Abba is very fond of you. Your daddy is very fond of you. What great love he's lavished upon us. He was pleased to make you his own. My friends, may you remember the great things the Lord has done and may you know in your bones, in your heart, in your soul, your Abba is very fond of you. Grace and peace, everyone.